Cinephiles Attack, a weekly podcast where four movie fans test the limits of their friendship. I'm Rashawn, and I'm here with Mella, Josh, and Lacey. What it do? What is Howdy. up, uh, Rashani? How we doing on this afternoon? <laughs> share all the secrets. <laughs> We're good. We're good. Better now. Better now. I was just wondering why now. What changed? Oh, I had some water, and I'm here with you guys. Oh, okay. That's nice. <laughs> I'm hydrated. She's also fiending for a glass of milk, we just found out. But... Milk and then coffee. <laughs> Enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> this episode's just an hour of Mel's desires, right? Yes. Mel, what'd you have for dinner last night? We started with milk. <laughs> Well, today's one of those days. We got some company in the house. Yeah. He is an incredible filmmaker. He's host of a really good podcast called Show Me the Meaning that has had myself and Josh on in the past few weeks. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Raymond Creamer. Yep. Hey, gang. Hey. Always nice to be on mic with the Fantastic Four. Oh, shit. Wait. Who's who? Yeah, do a quick cast. <laughs> on the, yeah, Please on do. the spot. Cast us. Go. Can I be the orange rock guy? No, I was. Well, you've got you've got Josh and Lacey, the married couple. I think that's an easy read. Richards and Sue storm yeah. there. Rashawn's kind of the bad boy of the podcast, so he's uh, he's Johnny Storm, and then yeah, I guess Carmella, you're the thing. <laughs> that way. Did you know his name was the thing, Mella? No, orange rock guy. Orange rock guy. She, you're just a big Michael Chiklis fan. Love that thick neck. <laughs> I'm very very happy to be here. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for coming on. How is your <laughs> <laughs> Sure, we'll go with afternoon. <laughs> so, surprised that that was the uh, the word that you left in. Um things are going well, you know. I uh, uh got up this morning to uh catch up on what we're going to be uh talking about today. Do a little morning viewing, took the dog out. Um and other than that, yeah, it's been a slow start to my uh, mumble mumble. <laughs> We're very secretive over here at WCA. Mm. Um, so Ray and I have known each other for about 10 years, I want to say. About. Um, yeah. Uh, we bumped into each other on the street and we've been friends Aww. ever since. <laughs> I said, I like the cut of this guy's jib. So much authority when he just cleaned my clock, knocked me straight down to the sidewalk. I'm walking here. I love Rashawn's jib so mm. much. <laughs> uh, wait. <laughs> Spell jib, somebody. J-I-B-B. Why are there two? You, you were so... Jib. You did so well up until then. <laughs> it has to have two Bs. Why? It's just one of those words. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you spell jif? Like the peanut butter? With, with... two Fs. Okay. <laughs> are there... Wait, is there one F? <laughs> and jif? Wait, is there one F? 
I don't be looking at the label when I'm dipping in. You know what I'm <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like a full hand. You did. I like it for viewers at home, Rashawn did like a cat's paw move. Like he's just kind of, he's quite literally just, yeah, he just wants to get his mitts into that, uh, into that sweet peanut butter. Ask Carmela when I grab a, a jar and a spoon, it's a wrap. It's for a the wrap, jar. dude. Mm-hmm. You should Ted Lasso it. You're about as open yeah, as a jar of peanut butter. That's what I was going to say. Fine show, that Ted Lasso. Very good. Oh, I love it so much. Can we talk about Ted Lasso instead? No, I haven't watched it yet. Mella. I know. I think you'll like it. It's got all the things you love, like um, hunks, soccer, mainly hunks, though. Ooh. And British accents. I'm in. Whole glasses of milk. Okay, focus, people. <laughs> Let's go watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> Carmela talking about the milk, I was very upset that I hadn't been introduced before that because I, I wanted to comment on you just making your own frappuccino in your stomach, just gunning, <laughs> gunning the coffee and the milk and then just jumping vigorously. Doing a little truffle shuffle. And me being like, why does my stomach hurt? Mm, I hate this. <laughs> Rashawn, can you go get me a Tom's? Give me two. Wait, were you guys here last night? Is that how you know? <laughs> Shut up. (laughs) Awesome. So, Ray, tell us a little bit about your show over there at Wisecrack. Over there at Wisecrack? Yeah. Josh and I got to be on the show for a bit, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a a great episode. We talked about um, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Um, Yeah, it's uh, it's called Show Me the Meaning, and we, uh, we pick a movie each week, and we uh, we generally dig into like the the philosophical and historical and political context of uh, certain movies. Uh, if you like uh, this podcast, maybe you would dig uh, "Show Me the Meaning," and uh, maybe a great place to start would be uh, the the Justice League episode with uh, with two of uh, two of your hometown favorites, Josh and Rashawn. We'll have to have uh, Lacey and Carmela on soon. Okay, we're gonna get into it, Raymond. What's that? What is the movie? That made you a cinephile. You know, funny enough, considering what we're uh, here to discuss today, it would probably be uh, in in eighth grade. I saw Kill Bill Volume One, and that is, if not what made me a cinephile, it made me the thing that it, it, it was the thing that made me want to be a filmmaker. I think more than anything, not necessarily mm-hmm. that it's my favorite movie or even my favorite Tarantino movie, um, but I just hadn't seen a movie like that up until then, and it kind of makes me think of how. Uh, people who saw Pulp Fiction in theaters when it came out, the way they talk about that movie where they're like, I just didn't know you could do this. And that was just very exciting to me, seeing like a blend of, you know, Kung Fu and Western elements and there's great drama and really cool action and it's funny and it's sleek and all this awesome music and great needle drops. And, you know, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit uh, more at length later on, but Tarantino has this way of just kind of like creating his own sort of universe um, mm-hmm. where they have their own rules and you, you don't question it. You just go with it. Uh, you either get on the train or get on the tracks. Uh, I watched um, them backwards when I first got my hands on them. You did vol- volume two before volume yeah. one? Yeah. How, how was that? What did that, uh, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like what, how did that affect your viewing of it? It wasn't, I didn't like miss anything and it was fine. And then it wasn't until, I think when I met Rashawn, he like, you know, obviously a huge Tarantino fan. And he, he taught like, you how to count. <laughs> yeah, he taught me how to count. And he's like, oh, have you seen it? And I was like, I haven't seen it in a while. And he's like, here, let me um, lend you my DVDs. And I was like, um, I think I watched these backwards. 
Yeah, you boldly saying I didn't miss anything when you literally missed the first installment. <laughs> but I because I watched them like volume two then volume one i don't know how can't tell you but at what point in your volume two watching did you ever go wait (laughs) uh probably (laughs) towards the end i was like (laughs) not on the not on the title screen who are these people no because i think i watched it like on tv so i don't i don't know if there was a title screen it was a mess y'all know this this is not surprising. <laughs> if you think about it, you already know that she has to kill Bill. Like, that's the fucking title. So you go into <laughs> volume two and you it's know what the fucking is happening. <laughs> so it's not like it starts the movie and you don't know what's going on. Like, she's already checking off her list. So I'm just like, oh, this is just Poison Ivy doing badass things. Because I didn't really know at <laughs> the time Ivy. who Uma Thurman was. <laughs> and... I was in on it. And I think, honestly, when I saw volume one, I was like, mm, this one's not as fun. <laughs> like, I didn't like it. Wasn't as fun for you as uh, volume two? No, but now I, I like them both. I feel like I, I watch it as a whole movie. Okay, Raymond. What's up? For $1 million, what movie could you quote from start to finish? For $1 million, uh, I wouldn't be able to do it... I, I wouldn't be able to nail it, um, but the the closest I could probably get is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I've uh, I've, I've seen that one a hundred times. That's uh, that's probably my most my most rewatched movie uh, ever. Probably my favorite movie if I had to choose one. Um, so that that one is so great. Just like I think people sort of sleep on that movie's script and how good Gene Wilder is in it. He like, is. They, brilliant in that movie yeah but that movie i think doesn't get enough credit for just how like sly and sardonic and funny it is like of course it's you know become a meme so maybe maybe folks are in tune with that a little bit more now but as a kid you watch it for you know the colors and the fantasy and all of that but uh, as i get older i swear to god every time i watch that movie and i've seen it probably close to triple digits at this point it's like there's a new thing that I know. Like the last time that I watched it, there was um, something I had never noticed before that when when Violet Beauregard wins her ticket and you see the the news coverage on it uh, and she's uh, on her, you know, Sam's hot car lot. She's out there waving her ticket and uh, and Charlie is watching it on the TV screen in the in the storefront window when it cuts to Peter Ostrom's face there's just this look of sheer disgust and it's and it's just like this poor kid who wants this so badly for all the right reasons that just you know he's got this miserable life and he just wants one good thing to happen to him has to not only see some other kid go and live his dream but this fucking monster and and you don't pick up on that when you're a kid you don't you you you're not as tuned in with like the emotional complexities that are going on with him but like watch that sequence again and the first time it cuts to charlie's face he's just appalled it's just like it's just such a great bit of directing and and uh, a really a really fine uh, uh subtle piece of acting from peter ostrom as well um but yeah that that's probably the closest that i could get Oh, that's a good answer. I like that answer. All right. Time to pick a bone. <laughs> I'm sick of this nice shit. 
Do you have any moments, opinions, whatever, from any of our previous episodes, from any of us that you have a problem with and want to voice that? Oh, right now? man. I'm so scared. <laughs> See, Lacey, you're only scared because you don't know me that well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because as as a you know a cinephile, we all have our opinions, we all have our hot takes, and and we all have our movies that we will defend to the death. Um, you guys may be coming at me knives out during the rest of this episode for sure. <laughs> um, but personally, I don't. I I really, really deeply, and this is not me just saying this. Like, I dislike the notion of fighting about movies. I think like. In the parlance of Quentin Tarantino, every movie is a gift. There are only two movies that I feel comfortable hating as movies. I just think, you know, the idea of attacking someone for their tastes, just it's not where I live. That said, in the spirit of of the show, I will say Carmella. Yes. Oh, yes. God, I knew it. What? <laughs> I, have, I have something for you and then something for everyone else. But you putting... <laughs> Captain America Winter Soldier onto the, the was it the top 20 yeah. of the decade <laughs> when you hadn't even seen it you had the winning vote in your hand to put The Witch which you know is one of my favorite movies of all time you could have put The Witch into the top 20 of the decade where I believe it belongs instead you put the lists like fourth Marvel movie and yes and then you sent the witch to the losers bracket, which if you hadn't have done, Rashawn and Josh would have teamed up on Mad Max Fury Road and probably gotten that on the list as well. So your one swing vote quite likely cost two of the best movies of all time, not just of the decade, from getting their just desserts on the uh, on the top 20 WCA list. Very, very disappointed in you. Mel is the Florida of our electoral college. <laughs> As Carmela goes, goes the country. I Bullshit. do regret my decision. It's too bad. Um, too bad. I am very easily swayed because I go into those episodes being like, this is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. And then Josh is very good at fucking persuading me. Oh, he's a persuasive and- fellow. Then I'm like, you're right. I know I haven't seen it, but it does sound good. And then that's how it went. <laughs> Considering the last decade in cinema, Marvel is at the vanguard of uh, of the motion picture industry. I may not be a huge fan of superhero movies, but you would be remiss if you didn't have some Marvel representation on a list of movies that defined the decade. You know, that's what I was quibble. doing. Sure. Shut up. <laughs> uh, Carmela, the only reason that I came for you is because you actually, as far as I as far as I can tell, have been the one who is most making good on their New Year's resolution from uh, from earlier in the podcast. That you true. you have told me uh, both on air and you've told me in in private conversations that you've watched a handful of uh, movies on that list that Rashawn and I made for you a while back. Yes, um, it's been a little lull right now because I've been not watching shit except for the pod. That second dose really took you out of commission. <laughs> <laughs> second dose still got me. I'm fized up, but I am I am checking checking some boxes which I hadn't done in years, as you know. So, so in the interest of uh, spreading the the love of movies, 
Hmm. Josh, Lacey, Rashawn, hmm. I got to pass it to you with uh, regards to the New Year's resolutions. Uh, let's let's go let's go around. Have any of you kind of crossed off some uh, movies that might have been on your list or or stuff? You know, Lacey, you mentioned wanting to see more movies from female filmmakers. I think Josh's was more uh, foreign films, and Rashawn, you said something about uh, uh, more horror movies directed by uh, by uh, black filmmakers. Yes, so that was my resolution. Um, I have watched Mortal Kombat. Um, <laughs> as far as I think my, um, the actual resolution was, yes, that black filmmakers, but, uh, retroactively. And then what happened is I ended up watching contemporary <laughs> horror films. I just finished the miniseries Them on Amazon Prime and Mortal Kombat. You kept going with it? I did. I did. I finished it, um... To the detriment of my soul. But I did it. <laughs> um, but as far as my resolution, I have to say that I've seen Justice League twice and older <laughs> black horror films, zero. <laughs> you still got time. Lacey, uh, what, do you, what do you got female filmmaker wise? You know, I have not been great about actively seeking out female filmmakers. As as much as that is still my goal, I'm trying to seek out new cinema as a whole um, and not just take recommendations. If I see something that pops up on my Netflix or my Hulu like recommended for you and no one else has seen it yet or no one else is talking about it personally to me yet, I've made an effort to watch more of those movies, to watch more made-for-me, quote-unquote, movies this year. Very cool. But The Witch is up next. Every time we record this podcast, I'm like, fuck, I need to watch The Witch, because that's the one I said I would try again. Oh, you haven't you haven't seen that yet? I saw it. It was her try-again choice. Long ago, I did. Yeah, I uh, I don't know if this is uncouth as a first time guest, but uh, if if ever you cover the witch on this show, I kind of have to plant my flag right now. <laughs> you got to you got to bring me back. I have so much to say about that movie. I love. Yeah, it. I mine was to watch more foreign films, and I I watched a good chunk of the Oscars ones or a handful of them. Um, that's kind of something I try to do every year, but then that's that's about it. I watch. I've been watching a lot of anime. And I watched some some sub. Does that count, Rashawn? <laughs> no. Yeah, that's foreign to me. <laughs> it's foreign to me. <laughs> it's kind of like mellow. Like I started, I did okay. Obviously, Oscar season, and then I just kind of fell off. And I've kind of been in a film watching funk. I'll watch what we have to watch for the sure. for the pod, and then I'll watch The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like Lacey, as I. I see some that are interesting, and but if I haven't heard of it or no one's recommended it to me, I have to catch myself uh, disregarding it. Well, I've never heard of it, even though it's high rated, no one's recommended it to me. I have to kind of get rid of that notion, especially with foreign films. So it's <laughs> a work in progress. And sometimes it can be a little bit uh, overwhelming. Yeah. You don't want to feel <laughs> like you're having to eat your vegetables and stuff. Right. You can always find, like, whatever you're into with regards to American cinema, you can find versions of that elsewhere. It just requires a little more digging, maybe. That's something I didn't know or learn until, like, a year or two ago. <laughs> like, especially growing up in, like, the... in the circles of people that watch superhero movies and anime. It's like, I don't know where this started, but foreign films are thought of. They're either nonsensical or they're like slow and weirdly paced and bad. And that's just not true. 
No, I was going to tell Josh. I mean, he loved Parasite. It was on our list twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you should start with Bong stuff. Like, I think idea. Mother and sure. Memories of a Murder are both on Hulu. And they are. Oh, and I also I mentioned uh, one of the first conversations I had with Josh. I also mentioned uh, Akira Kurosawa's High and Low, which was a huge influence on Parasite. That's right. Well, I can tell you what is definitely not a foreign film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the movie we just watched. So Raymond, what are we fighting about today? We're here to discuss Death Proof. Yay! <laughs> well, Pam, which way are you going? Left or right? Right. Ah, that's too bad. Why? Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left, too, and if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid... You're going to have to start getting scared immediately. So Death Proof is a 2007 slasher film directed by Quentin Tarantino. It is one half of the Grindhouse double feature with Planet Terror directed by Robert Rodriguez. This movie stars Vanessa Ferlito, Sidney Tamia Poitier, Rose McGowan, Rosario Dawson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Zoe Bell, Tracy Toms, and Kurt Russell as stuntman Mike. This movie tells the story of a stuntman who stalks women and kills them using his death-proof cars until he runs across a group of women who are not to be fucked with. So, in 2007, you guys know I was in New York. I took a trek down to the AMC in Lincoln Square, which is usually a packed, fully booked theater on an afternoon. It was like a Wednesday or Thursday at around like 2 p.m. And this movie theater was empty. <laughs> I went upstairs. I got my big bucket of popcorn. I sat on the balcony and I watched Grindhouse. Death Proof in this context is only about, I'd say about 80 minutes. So it's significantly shorter than what we just watched. But as I was already a fan of Tarantino, had never seen any Grindhouse movies, any exploitation flicks up until that point. And I just dove in and I ate it the fuck up. And then the movie bombed. spectacularly um but this has always kind of been death proof in particular has been a movie that i return to over and over and over and over again and in the last 14 years it's become one of my favorite movies i love this movie to pieces which is not a surprise it's tarantino it's a slasher movie with the exception of one person it features all women I just like gobble, 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 eat it up. I know that this is a particular taste. <laughs> yeah. So when I brought it to the podcast, I had obviously the motive to um, bring it to the cinephiles to a tick. <laughs> and then, and then you brought in a ringer for it <laughs> because. <laughs> I brought in a heavyweight. (laughs) If there's anyone who loves this movie as much, or maybe more so than you do, I I would say I could give you a run for your money. But uh, uh, um, film 
film love is not a competition. And that's really what I'm here to tell you guys <laughs> today. Nah. All right? <laughs> Fuck all that shit. Fuck all that shit. Ray's here to be the pacifist for our episode. He's here to bring the peace for us. So I'm, I'm looking at the screen. I want to be hospitable and give it to Ray first, but I need to carefully plan where to go first. And I'm watching faces. And I actually want to hand this to Lacey first. Oh, no. Are you sure? I think so. I think I have a clue of where she's at. But talk to me, Lace. Uh, Rashawn. Yes. As my friend, <laughs> you know, yes. I am not Quentin Tarantino's biggest fan. I'm aware. I would not even call myself a fan. <laughs> not even the smallest fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have very mixed feelings about this movie. Um, okay. I have a lot of critiques and I have a lot of things that I really didn't like. I would never choose to watch this. I would probably never choose to watch it again. <laughs> but I didn't hate it. Oh. We'll take it. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I didn't hate okay. it. <laughs> she did not like it. Okay. But I did, but that's, I'll get into it later. It's, I don't, I'm very conflicted. I will say that. That's my favorite kind of Lacey. Okay. I'm going, I'm obviously going to the two people that this is a first time watch for them. Yeah, for sure. Joshua Vetter. Um, To quote uh, Brad Pitt, Quentin Tarantino has separated more women from their shoes than the TSA. <laughs> Just, I wanted to say a Brad Pitt quote one, but two, it's the quote is indicative of the main issue I had with this movie is every time I found myself starting to really fall into it and kind of dig it, there was another Tarantino style swing that took me right out. Rashawn and I have gotten into Tarantino discussions before i'm about 50 50 with his filmography i really like some of them and other ones i don't um <laughs> it's riddle me this Rashawn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let me take you back to the uh, two times you watched zach snyder's cut of the justice league oh boy okay two times and uh, this could go for raymond too because we talked about this actually on show me the meaning Mm-hmm. the Zack Snyder's choice to release it and film it in uh, the IMAX ratio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the difference between that and Tarantino's decision to film this with the weird film grain the first half of the movie? Well, he actually scratched the film. So this is not... Yes, it is a visual flair, but it's also someone who... Because I know Quentin Tarantino personally... Knows the most about film, <laughs> but I but I think what Josh is driving at is that this this movie is affected like that that is an affectation, you know. To it, yeah. I guess to combat that, I say that if it's the difference between someone with a love for this media, I don't want to shit on Zack Snyder. I think there's a there's a difference between the affectations and the visual flair that he puts in this movie. Um, we can talk about it later, but the the lap dance is not in the theatrical cut. Interesting. I only bring that up because it, it back to my point of I it, it threw me at first, and I was watching and I was like, okay, 
it's got this sort of sweaty southern town vibe the old cinema reels okay i'm vibing with it i'm starting to figure it out and then she pulls out a cell phone <laughs> and i was like i was like wait when is this it kind of jolts me out of the movie every time there's a st- and it's a very tarantino stylistic sort of counteraction happens like that mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if i liked it or not probably not <laughs> but i don't know let's keep talking and i'll decide as we talk okay. we gotta we gotta i don't like it we gotta i don't know um so this is probably i think my third watch of it uh rashawn introduced this movie to me of course um i fucking love this movie <laughs> <laughs> Everything Josh has to say about why he may or may not like it, I love about it. I love the Scratch film. I'm 90% sure I don't like it. Okay. So just don't don't 90? expect me to side with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't expect me to side with you. You guys can look this movie and know why I like it. It's set in a time period, but not a time period. It's a scratch. Like it has the old retro look to it. It has a bunch of girls in there who look normal but are just so fucking hot in what they do and say and act like and their careers like all of the women in the film i love the little quentin tarantino things about it like there's some things like certain little like shots that i'm like uh i could do without it but i know that it's so intentional that you kind of can't hate it because it's not a mistake it's not something that you can I know there's like specifically I'm talking about there's a shot of Kurt Russell at the bar talking to Rose McGowan when she asks for a ride and there's a focus pull off of her onto him but it's only his side profile and I'm like why did she's talking (laughs) like why is the camera not focused on her but it's not enough for me to hate it it's because you know it's so incredibly intentional and I feel like that the whole movie even to the second half of the movie when all of the girls are like in this eight minute long shot and i'm thinking like these bitches can't mess up their lines like it's just so and they're so good and they're so natural and sometimes when i'm watching a movie i'm not gonna say like this but just a movie where it's really like dialogue heavy i get lost in oh what are they wearing or what are they you know, what's in the background. But with this one, I'm so in tune with everybody. I don't want to miss a single thing that they're saying. So I fucking love this movie and I really only have good things to say about it. That is, I'm going to be honest, that's shocking to me. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first time she told me that, I was very shocked. It has a so, like, not a lot of gore, but the gore that it has is intense as fuck and i'm just like oh my god like and that's what it is (laughs) i will say that's something that doesn't always mesh with me with tarantino or sometimes his gore seems i don't want to say unrealistic because a lot of it's unrealistic and intentionally so but it's almost overtly unrealistic i don't know how to describe it but this like it all the gore in this is all, all had a home. It all came from it. It, it all seemed right. It felt and there's earned. other movies. It felt yeah earned. earned that, yeah yeah. Okay. Do I get to weigh in again? You do get to weigh in again. <laughs> do do I get an do I get an opening statement? Uh, yeah. So I brought in a, a heavyweight because I I actually gonna say this honestly. 
I brought this as the first Tarantino to the show as an olive branch because I was like, if Lacey likes any Tarantino, I think she'll like Death Proof. Really? Mm-mm. Yeah. That surprises me. Yeah, I can't think of another one that I'm like, I'm going to hand this to Lacey and she'll like it. I don't know Lacey as well as you do, but I would imagine something like, I mean, Jackie Brown is at least more accessible and the performances are so rock solid in that. And it's a little bit more subdued, especially in his filmography. Um, now just talking about Lacey. <laughs> Lacey, leave the room, please. <laughs> I think that's why it's, it's, this is still, Jackie Brown's a little too mature. I love Jackie Brown. Um, yeah, but this is still a Tarantino movie and I was like, I have to, I can't not bring it. And I was wrong and that's great. And I can't wait to talk about why. <laughs> <laughs> this is not just such a Tarantino film. I would, I would argue this is the most Tarantino film. Like you always hear about directors that they like, I make one for them, one for me, one for them. Tarantino is one of the rare filmmakers that has had, uh, just such a, a, a dream career that he's only ever really had to make movies for himself. Mm-hmm. You know, you never get the sense that he's not totally gung ho about the things that he's doing, but this movie kind of stands out in his filmography because not only is this one for him, it is like one for only him and kind of only for people like him. Uh, that's not to imply that, you know, Everyone who enjoyed this movie is a, 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 a maniacal foot fetishist with an encyclopedic knowledge of film. But there is there is this quality to the movie that what Josh had brought up with regards to the sort of grindhouse affect. I think what's so vexing about this film, at least for me, because I do I I, I think this is my favorite Tarantino movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But it is not a good movie, like objectively <laughs> so. And I think the reason that it's so beguiling for me is that it's not really trying to be the best version of a movie. Like this movie is cradled in his filmography between like two perfect, technically perfect, regardless of what your feelings about their content. Kill Bill and Inglorious Bastards are about as perfect as a, a, like abject examples of filmmaking can possibly be this is a director who was at the height of his power the height of his talent and he decided he was going to you know he calls this his left-handed movie he he is like tying a hand behind his back and just seeing what happens like he served as his own cinematographer on this movie as Rashawn mentioned before he he dragged the film's negative around a parking lot behind his car to give it some authentic wear and tear like this is a movie that is almost more so like a performance art piece it is like I think more understandable as a piece of experimental art which I would say objectively makes it a failure as a movie. Like if, if your movie depends on, I think that film criticism should be devoid of context that I always quote the, this great Jackie Chan interview where he says, when an audience sits down to watch your movie, it's either good movie or bad movie. They don't know what happened on the day. They don't know how much the movie cost. They don't know why this shot looks this way or why you didn't have X, Y, or Z. They just know good movie or bad movie. So I do firmly believe that films should be critiqued devoid of context with notable exceptions. As much as I love this movie, 
I am not here at all to tell you you're wrong for not liking it. I am. But this <laughs> <laughs> But this I think is the rare film where you have to like look at the big picture to try and understand the game that it's playing. And if you still don't like it, you still don't like it. But like this is a movie where he's deliberately putting in continuity errors and he's deliberately putting in flubbed lines and messed up takes and things like that like it's a movie that was designed to end a three-hour cinematic experience which was two movies piled on top of each other and it's structured and paced to follow up a first movie that played before it so it has this weird sort of like Oh, they just fucking talk for like an hour and then their their heads explode. Mm -hmm. Like there there is this weird energy to it that on its own, like yeah, it is kind of it, it, it kind of wants to be held at arm's length. So I do not fault you at all for sticking it out there. But my 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 one argument with this is like just because it fails as a movie doesn't mean it necessarily fails as uh, as an artistic expression, you know? I think I think you actually put it really perfectly for how I feel about it, Ray, because I I can see all of the cinematic elements in it. And I can there are moments that I eat up in this movie, the eight minute track around the dining table where I mean that's that's four actresses doing unbelievably brilliant work. These women getting revenge on this evil guy at the end after a chase scene and car an action chase scene in cars. It's fucking awesome. But as a whole, there were so many things that like didn't pay off for me or didn't land for me. I don't know. We spend so much time with the first Three girls, four girls, three, yeah. mm -hmm. three girls, the first three girls, <laughs> and I, I like the subversion of them dying and them being killed off right away, but then I don't know that the ending doesn't. I don't know. I, it's, I'm so conflicted, you guys. I feel, I feel <laughs> so confused. When you let me ask a, let me ask a question to the to the vetters. Yeah, when the first car with with Sydney Poitier and Vanessa Ferlito when that car when they just get murked and they're dead what did you think were you just like uh i don't i i enjoy that kind of stuff that's why there's there like fleeting moments from like okay cool i don't hate that at all it would have been it would have been a little more exciting if I didn't know Rosario Dawson was in the movie. Mm, okay. <laughs> because it was, what, 45 minutes in when it happens? And in the back of my head, I was like, you still haven't seen Rosario Dawson. Which is still fine. She could have come up later or whatever. And I didn't, they didn't have to die for her to show up. But I, I, I don't hate stuff like that. When movies team wipe a whole set of characters or a whole, or whole, section of the plot i don't hate it if it works and it mm. it i think it worked fine because it was ultimately a movie about kurt russell and and his cars car um <laughs> yeah in terms of just that alone that when that happened i was like oh that's kind of cool all right 
I fuck with it. Yeah, I liked that. Mm-hmm. I like. I thought it was cool, and the the deaths were gory, but also creative. I was fine with it. What? <laughs> yeah, talk talk me through where <laughs> I lose you. Honestly, it's after that because I have at this point I've bought into the grainy filmmaking. I've bought into this like setting of kind of country backwoods, you know, vacation, mm. girls trip, whatever. And I'm I was here for it the whole time. I was like, okay, so now we're going to see how he kills a bunch of other people in this in this town. Like are we going to Nope, we're going to hard cut to 14 months later. Change into from this grainy filmmaking to black and white to then perfect technicolor. And it feels like a much bigger shift. It felt like a much bigger shift to me. It felt way longer than 14 months. It felt like two completely different worlds. Mm-hmm. Um which maybe was the point, but I don't like that because I liked <laughs> the first you, world yeah. you established. Yeah, because <laughs> you you mentioned Josh how the like the cell phones kind of take you out of it, and I I kind of love that this movie exists in this weird little pocket universe where Quentin Tarantino was born twenty years earlier, and he came up making movies in the seventies for Roger Corman, and you get this sort of glimpse of that that like. Yes, that first half, the, the colors are more saturated. The grain is far more present. Um, they're, they're, they're leaning more into the, the cinematic conventions of the era, at least with regards to the kind of movies this is trying to emulate. And then you have this weird folding structure where it, you're right, Lacey. It doesn't cut 14 months later. It cuts a good 20 years later. Yeah. Like the, the second half of this movie is almost like if Quentin Tarantino, the person that we know, had gotten his hands on alternate universes Quentin Tarantino 70s movie mm-hmm. and he remade it with like a postmodern feminist spin. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that is like, okay, it's kind of clever, but like you said, it doesn't really matter if that's the point. If it doesn't land for the average film goer, if it just feels kind of wonky and off balance, it's just going to feel wonky and off balance. Well, you were shaking your head, yeah. I think I was agreeing with the whole, like, I love the, we don't know what time what time period it is. Because we when I first watched it, I was like, oh, okay, it's the 70s. Wait, I'm from Austin. That's how it looks right now. <laughs> you know, like, and then you're, then she whips out, like, the T9 phone. So you're like, oh, wait, it is 2007. Like, it's just so jarring at first. But then I kind of love it. And then after like my second and third watch, I'm like, no, that's actually what I love about it. And the jump, which is what Lacey is talking about. I kind of feel like both sides, like I don't hate it, but I I don't know. I, I think I do. I think I do like it because it kind of gives, it goes into black and white. So it's not a complete jump for me, but I will say that it makes it feel like two different films, even though it's the same, um, the same but slasher. But why does the black and white happen? It, why don't we just, just because. go straight, straight from the grain to the to the to the modern day color? Like 
that fe- that didn't feel intentional to me. That just felt like, okay, now we're going to do it like this. Oh, and now it's in color. Bam. Like, it didn't feel motivated at all. Yeah, I agree with you. But obviously I'm biased. Like, it, it's very because I can. Yeah, that's what I got. Just because I can. Where I do. But I do get Mel says he's like easing you into the second half where it's like you let me take you out of the 70s let me kind of sit you at the their park them take you back to like the 40s and 50s in black and white and then zoom you (laughs) forward to 2010 i feel like it's it's like a it's like a let me sit you down for a little bit because you just saw a leg fly out of a car (laughs) and like and then let me ease you into this next chapter where like ray says he's basically gonna remake the movie he eased. just made he's gonna remake i don't want to be eased i want that i want that story i want that to keep going i i want the leg to fall off i came for a slasher movie <laughs> i want the leg to fall <laughs> off this is the argument i've had with Rashawn before and i'm uh, going to try to tiptoe into this Ooh, what do you want well, a very Quentin Tarantino thing of you to do tiptoe we're gonna talk about the feet so i I, 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 and this is coming from someone who, when he was a little freshman film student shit, used to love Scorsese movies. I don't anymore. They're fine. I like some of them. Just what? <laughs> I mean. Listen, I'm getting there. I'm getting Why there. do you have to dig out Scorsese? <laughs> He's a master. No I'm, I'm taking everybody down with me. Okay. Um, I worry that when directors like Tarantino have such a, a, a strong fingerprint on their movies that too much can get written off as, well, that's just Tarantino style. It gets it, too much can be given a get out of jail free card just because that's Tarantino. I don't gel with just because someone is so stylistic, they can just cut to black and white because they want to for five minutes and it gets written off. as just being Tarantino style. Well, this is a this is a movie. Tarantino's been accused of, you know, style over substance and things right. like that. And certainly he is a hyper stylized filmmaker. You know, no one would deny that. I don't necessarily think that you have to cut to black and white there. I can see some artistic justification for it in that black and white, you know, we were discussing this a little bit with regards to foreign films, but black and white feels a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit more austere. And if you're trying to signal to an audience that, hey, the game has changed or the visual aesthetic is going to to, to make a shift, it, I think it, you know, I, I can see an artistic justification for it in a way that actually contributes to the story overall. Um, that, that said, but also, you, do you, you know, not... you could take it or leave it. I don't think the movie suffers from having a black and white sequence, but sorry, Rashawn. Right. I'm just using that as an example among Do you other... not love Scott Pilgrim? It's okay. I like oh, Scott Pilgrim. Josh, I hate you so much. I love, Ed... I love, <laughs> Josh, I love Josh Edgar Wright and saying like, Edgar Wright is the certain, same. Certain filmmakers having yeah, no. too, too much of a, st- it's just like, I don't, I, like, are you telling fucking Picasso to make his faces more I'm, round? Like, what? I'm not what saying is the... too much. I'm not saying too much. I'm saying that, like, any art, like Picasso, like, just because he's got such a specific style doesn't make him free from critique. Oh, and sure. I feel like a lot of people, Rashawn, <laughs> it gets very defensive of Tarantino when you start to critique his style just because it's so specific. Specific does not always equal good. He doesn't, he does not do this 
every film. If you watch Jackie Brown, there are absolutely no, with the exception of maybe like the opening credits, there are no flourishes throughout that movie. He just makes a character drama about this one woman. You get Death Proof, which is a movie that exists within this grindhouse feature. Yeah, yeah he get he kind of gets whole dick to, is out in this movie. He kind of gets to paint <laughs> with every brush in his pack. You know what I mean? So I'm not excusing it. I'm saying that he's playing in the sandbox that he's been given for this movie. Sure. But he doesn't always do I, this. I didn't know I didn't know I I uh a modicum of information about this movie before I started watching it. I don't know when it came out. All I knew was it had Kurt Russell, Rosario Dawson, and Zoe Bell. That's literally all I knew. I thought this was his first movie. Watching it, it felt like his first movie. Like his first big, but not his first ever movie. It felt like his first big budget Hollywood movie. That's interesting. And, and it, it's just, I think it's from what, what, when you, Raymond, when you explained kind of his whole, plan and his 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 left-handed movie and he did the cinematography that made it make more sense and that kind of connected the dots for me but watching it i was like is this i, I had to look it up i was like is this his like first big budget this movie? is 100 percent. i think his most in some ways maybe his most personal film like all of his cinematic influences are on full display here and absolutely his style i think at the heart of anyone's style is their fetish and and his his fetishistic sense of detail and style is absolutely this. This is a showcase for whatever's going on in his little brain. And another fetish. Oh, Lacey. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this actually goes into that fetish. Um, I really felt a lack of the the danger in the second half of the movie. Um, you know, we spend the first forty five minutes with the girls and he's kind of stalking them along the way and there's this distance and there's the there's observation and all of that feels one very rushed in the second half like his observations are like boom 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 okay these are my next targets but then you lose any of the like like anticipation fear or threat when he starts making out with rosaria dawson's feet you guys it's pretty fucking sick dude And, like, that – we've talked about many times with suspense being, like, nothing scarier than what you imagine in in your head. And by breaking that that wall down so quickly – I mean, that's the first scene we're with them Mm -hmm. is in that parking lot, you know, with the girls. There's no buildup or, like, attachment even really to these girls before that, that break happens. So that didn't work for me. That did that didn't work for me. I, I was gonna mention before when talking about the film structure that a part of me wishes, at least in terms of making this more like accessible, if that's the word, that one of the girls from the first half of the movie had survived the crash and that she she was in Texas to shoot a movie there, she gets into this crash, and then 14 months or two years or whatever the time jump is, she's finally ready to get back on the horse. She flies out to Tennessee to do a movie there and she runs into the same motherfucker or he's hunting her down because she's the one that got away in classic, you know, Michael Myers form. I I, I agree no, with you, Lacey. I think that, that would... <laughs> I... No, it does! 
doesn't, Rashawn. No, it doesn't. I, I'm I'm not saying that because I think the film suffers from not doing that. You know, far be it for me to uh, to rewrite a, a two time or three time Oscar winning screenwriter. Um, however many times he's uh, won the, the guy. Is it two times? Mm-hmm. This is a movie that is like, once again, deliberately paced in a very awkward way. So much so to be isolating. And I don't think that should insulate it from criticism. But it is one of those things that, like I said before, is so vexing about the film is that I think Tarantino knows he's smart enough as a, a filmmaker uh, to know like what could make this movie more accessible. And he just goes, no, nah, nah, I don't really care. I'm do that. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, then, seven like, out of 10 Tarantino. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But like, that was really good. <laughs> that's fine. But like, I, and I, I get if it's just like, you want to make a movie for you. I respect that a hundred percent. I think that's why I feel so frustrated because there are so many pieces of this movie that I do really enjoy and I like and I can connect to, but then I feel like I feel as the viewer cut off. Like I, I that's how I feel. I feel like it's not a and it's not, I guess. It's not about my experience, but no, like, it, totally it doesn't is. feel about my experience anymore. It doesn't feel like it's for me. I think, well, two things. I think the, like I said, the grindhouse version of this is a little bit more truncated. So you get to things quicker in that movie. You're also coming down off the hive of Planet Terra, which is this also exploitative zombie movie. There's been blood and guts everywhere. Rose McGowan has a gun on her leg and it's crazy. And then you come to this movie and it's dialogue for, I think it's maybe an hour and 20 in the actual Grindhouse movie. So the pacing, I totally get. I made you watch this movie on its own Mm -hmm. much longer than what was intended to go with the Grindhouse. But I think, no, nobody should survive that first crash. (laughs) Because there's no way. Because I think, I think you need, that crash is so intense and so gratuitous that that's all you need to to recognize what a threat he is. And then you kind of forget that while you're falling in love with Abernathy and Kim. And then... No, you don't. You I don't, f- you don't forget, forget about it, it but you don't, I see what you You don't mean. forget it, but you're kind, of, you're kind of getting wrapped up into what they do and what they love. And you're like, oh my God, what is ship's mast? No, you and- don't. <laughs> But to, I mean, to what you said before, Lacey, was that you didn't feel the threat was present in the second half. And now you're saying you didn't forget the threat, that the threat still seemed present to you by implication there. But it didn't feel like a threat anymore. It felt abandoned. It felt like, I don't know. It felt like, okay, now we're focusing on this story and they're on a movie set and they're Kurt Russell's character, Stuntman Mike, is still obviously present, but the he didn't i don't know i don't know if it's just because of the time jump but he didn't feel threatening to me it's but i honestly think in the first half his presence is ominous and he is on the prowl and he is in complete control of that first half once you meet the second group of girls Mm -hmm. they are the power players they are the predators and they you realize yeah. about halfway through when she's telling the story about having a gun and 
uh, Zoe falling into the pit. These are these are not the people that he's going to. These, get. these aren't the targets he thinks they are. Yeah, and so it's it's a shift of him becoming a predator, and now he's kind of like a scavenger, and he's, he's gonna a bump little up, bitch. He's a little bitch, and he's gonna bump up against them, and it's not gonna end well for him. The first half, you know that these women are in trouble, and from stuntman Mike, from the two dirtbags in the bar, from any man in that universe. And then when you get to the second half, there is no woman in this film that is going to be prey to him. And I see it's that. It's just not going to happen. I see that. And I get that. But we've spent 45 minutes building a world to then flip it on its head. And that's jarring for me as a viewer. Yeah. Yeah. And it I, made I, it way harder to get back into. I, th- I think he might say deliberately so, but I don't, I don't think that can insulate him from criticism. Because what Rashawn said, I would essentially agree with. I, I don't think I could put it any better myself. But I still, I still understand and agree that he kind of digs himself a big hole by only giving himself 45 minutes to give you a movie's worth of character development for these new protagonists. And to Rashawn's point about the movie building him up as this ultimate threat in the first half only to tear him down in the second half. I think there is kind of a conscious game to that, that he is, you know, he's Darth Vader in the first half of the movie and the second half he's fucking Anakin. It like the, the ending moment with him in the car and he's crying, my arm's broken. Please don't hurt. He's just crying. Be careful. And he, Be careful. he, he does. I mean, to the film's credit within like the context of the narrative, Lacey, he is a totally different character. He pulls a bottle of whiskey out of the glove compartment and starts chugging it. Like he's a teetotaler in the first half of the movie like time has changed him i have a question yes sir why is she wearing her cheerleading costume oh we can get into it (laughs) because i want i do i want to talk about mary elizabeth winston i want to talk about it she's very good in the picture i think she's really good she's very good it felt like her entire being as a plot device was just to be bait and maybe that's the point like from still being in her cheerleading outfit to being this naive at every turn, she's naive and innocent and she keeps falling for their sarcastic setups and jokes. And then she's just used as bait for this down South caricature. Um, well, I think she's really good. The acting is great, but my, and like I said, I have all the things to say about this movie, but my one issue is I do feel like she's bait and I don't understand why she's even in the film because we have, you think that you're going to see these four women take down Stuntman Mike and essentially the three do, but then she's just left. I don't know. I hope she doesn't get raped, but she, it seems like she's left to get raped by this fucking redneck hick in the woods. And then you're just like, what the fuck? And she's supposed to be like their best friend. So I'm just kind of like, I don't get it. Maybe there's something I'm missing, but I would rather that character not exist versus her being there for a little bit and then just being left to the wolf. Um, if if I may, because I, I think that's a, a sort of friction or tension point for a lot of folks when they watch this movie. And, and I definitely understand that. Um, I think... First of all, her presence in the narrative and the cheerleaderness of it all is one of those things that's like, I know you're going to hate this, Josh, but it's like, yeah, it's a movie. Like, it, you know, <laughs> it looks it looks cool. But there's also 
because this movie is emulating a bunch of different subgenres from the 70s there's there's like a long history of sex exploitation mm-hmm. movies things like you know the student nurses and trip of the teacher and malibu high and most appropriately for this movie is the swinging cheerleaders the jack hill film that is one of tarantino's favorite movies it's a phenomenal movie and if you watch a lot of those movies sex and sexuality are treated as a currency and they're openly commodified and it's usually through the framework of lim- of women's lib um that doesn't really apply to how lee is treated at the end of this movie in a way that once again not to rewrite the movie but it would have been really easy to make that guy kind of a handsome dude that she is sort of flirting with and maybe she volunteers like, oh, if you want to take the car, I'm getting to know this guy. Like that would be such a Stephanie Rothman move to have that happen in your movie. Or if I may, (laughs) we've seen that Lee is kind of a submissive character in this group of three way more stronger personality women. She even admits to enjoying or not even enjoying, but being with someone who enjoys peeing on her. Like, she is very much presented as the bottom tier as far as strength for these four friends. Let her come along on this journey and let her be part of taking down this fucking badass at the end. Don't leave her out and let her be just this plot point of, you know, sexual fantasy or whatever. Like... Let her go be kick-ass like the other three women. Let her take him down, too. Yeah. One of my arguments about it was always, like, you could just leave your car there right? in collateral. Like, you have a different, you have you a different fucking, fucking muscle yeah, car. Yeah, friend. I do want to talk about Zoe Bell and how fucking badass I think oh, she yeah. is. And, you know, I was reading the trivia on this. Oh, my God. Um, after the fact. And I think it's so fucking cool that she did all of her own stunts. I just, I think she did an, she totally, like, I I don't want to say held her own against the three other women in the scenes with her, but, like, she stepped right up to the plate of, like, I'm the lead now. I'm not, I'm not the stunt woman. I'm not the stand-in. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. the lead. Um, And I just thought she was fucking great. So good, My, my pettiest complaint comes with the action sequence at the end let's go let's go Um, because you know me i love a good action sequence uh and it does not come from zoe bell because she is uh, one again one of the greats it started to lose a little flair for me it was a very long car chase which is fine in and of itself but it started to lose its flair especially the second half was a lot better when the girls were chasing mike i thought that was fantastic but the first half of it got a little dull. I needed I needed uh, the girls to break and try to peel off or turn away. And it just it, it, they were both pedal to the metal the whole time. They, he kept bumping them in the back and then on the side and the back and the side. It got really repetitive. I wanted to see, especially if if especially because Kim is also a stunt driver. I want to see I wanted to see her use that experience. Maybe try to take it, try to take a jump, try to hit the brakes and do a sudden. And I know you. She couldn't hit the brakes when Zoe was hanging off the front because she would have gone flying. But if she, when she's hanging onto the back of the hood, whatever, it got a little dull for me because it was just two cars going straight. And then it picked up, obviously, when the roles were reversed. But I, I, I found myself checking my watch during the first half of the car chase. What, Joshua? I think though this is not that movie. 
Like it's not Mission Impossible. It's not. But if you if you're gonna make it that long, give me some change it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, change the choreography a little. But it's also like the whole time, you know, I'm definitely not a fucking stunt woman. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm watching them drive, mm -hmm. and out of those three people, I would be Rosario Dawson in in the car, right? And <laughs> you are watching your friend drive his car with your other friend on the hood. The last thing you're thinking is, you know what? I'm going to do a donut in the middle of this fucking road. You know, like you're- <laughs> say do a donut. But you're like, you want them to turn and flip and break and all this shit. There is nothing they could have done. They can't even fucking slow down because Stuntman Mike- If he's coming up to get you on the side, that's when you slow down and he whiffs it and goes- Flying you are calling you. a car chase with a woman on the hood of the car boring. Exactly. And I just don't understand it. Holding, holding it belts. It was 10 minutes long going in the same direction. It's a chase. <laughs> it's, it's so good, Josh. I think that this comes back to, like like I keep harping on, the, the gravity of the film's project is just like, what is she doing on the fucking car hood? Well, they have this game and it's just, it's like so contrived that like, Oh yeah, it just so happens that I have uh, I'm coming to Tennessee at the time that this exact car from one of the greatest car movies of all time is being sold by this guy and I want to go do this game that we made up for this movie so we can get Zoe Bell on the hood of this fucking car and get as much goddamn footage of it as possible. Uh, like this the second I want to say again, the second half is awesome. When Zoe's in the car, Both that's a awesome. good I don't know what you're talking about. The first half is good. The second half is awesome. I have heard a lot of complaints about Death Proof, and I entertain every <laughs> single one of them. The car chase I have good. never heard anyone say that the car chase is boring. <laughs> That's just it, it got boring at the last minute. That you checked your watch. Like what? <laughs> this is I was, what we've I'm been being building hyper, to. Hyperbolic. I don't even own a watch. Well, your phone. This is not the grand finale of just death proof this is the grand finale of grindhouse i saw this movie three times in theaters the third of which was at a drive-in from a, a sundown a, a dusk to dawn a marathon so this car chase was playing at the end of essentially a four movie marathon because there were two movies before grindhouse and i swear to god when zoe bell was on that fucking hood and Kurt Russell's coming up and ramming them from behind. And that, that music is, is you know, like, dun, dun, dun. like the sun started peeking out from behind the fucking drive-in screen. And it's one of the best theatrical experiences of my life. I will never forgive you for this, Josh. <laughs> that, just catch me back on the Moneyball episode or something. I don't know. <laughs> Love Moneyball. Um, I just want to mention Tracy Toms, who... Oh my god. You think of I you think of Samuel that. Jackson, you think of uh Uma Thurman who can just handle his dialogue beautifully. Christoph Waltz, yeah. of course, has two Oscars for it. But I think Tracy Toms is just man, she, she rips it. Yeah. She doesn't carry the movie on her shoulders, but he gives her a, such a big task as that character. Mm -hmm. And you just you never I don't ever question who she is or how tough she is or how just fucking and i and i mean yeah. this to her credit just looking at her lines like on paper they would be like yeah movie great. at best but like her yeah ability to deliver it not saved it but it like it took it to the next level 
she elevates it yeah, yeah. absolutely that's what I, I the whole time watching it i'm like these lines are not that great but her saying it just makes <laughs> me want to say them now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and josh you saying that is is showing to me that whether you like it or not i think you're getting on this movie's wavelength because People use B movie casually, but this movie is quite literally a B movie. This was the this was the B picture in Grindhouse. This this discuss this what I said at the beginning is this discussion is uh, like you said with the whole context of it all. It's making me understand it more. Is it making me like it more? I don't think so. I th- I really think <laughs> this movie is better on a second watch. Oh yeah, that is exactly what I was. Yeah, it say. is. No doubt. One hundred percent. Will I take the time to do that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Please, I need you to reassess it in a few months. I'm actually curious what you would think if you were to watch like the Grindhouse cut, if it would if it would change the equation. For it you. does. I really am actually interested and curious to watch the original. How like the the 80 minutes of this? And... There is a trailer in the middle of the two movies called Thanksgiving that I need Josh to see. So. When we get off the mic, just go Google Thanksgiving it's trailer. E- Eli Roth's house. best movie. <laughs> it's, great. it's so good. So have a talking turkey. Um, it might as well. Miss me. <laughs> um, okay. I think we've covered a lot of it. Lacey, you got anything else you need to get out? No. I want to reiterate, I didn't like this movie, but I didn't dislike <laughs> this movie either. Like, I, there were a lot of elements that I really liked and I really enjoyed, but I just, Tarantino and I would not be friends. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> but you have pretty feet. He would love No, you. don't. They're too small. Lacey's like a size. Put your feet up on the screen, Lacey. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Lacey, to be be fair, I think he would be very difficult to get along with for a lot of people. (laughs) Thank you. Is there an accessible Tarantino that you've seen, Lacey? That you're like, okay, all right. I liked Kill Bill and I liked Pulp Fiction. They're not movies that I choose to turn on. But if, if they're on or... You know, if somebody wants to watch them, I'm not actively against it. Okay. Um, I really liked Inglorious Bastards. Um, That's my favorite. I'm not like anti Tarantino. I just. He's not your jam. He's just not my jam. Yeah. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I have. I did really like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That one is almost like, while still Tarantino esque in its way, it it's kind of a rebuke to a lot of his critics who say like, well, he can only do violence. He can only do monologues. He can only do yada, yada, yada. And I, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a really lovely film. Yeah, I like it a lot. So you know what his best movies have in common, Rashawn? Oh, boy. Uh, what do you want, Josh? Rap it. No, because you painted me <laughs> as a college dorm boy, and I, I'm mad at you. <laughs> I don't even I don't even really like Reservoir Dogs nor Pulp Fiction that much. I have never owned a Pulp Fiction poster and you painted me like that. I I didn't paint my brushes away. I didn't paint anything. <laughs> Liar. Brad Pitt's great, man. Red off Pitler, you got to love him. I love Brad Pitt. And Glorious Bastards. <laughs> I had said that a few weeks ago and you and Sam uh took my head off, so. <laughs> yeah, well, Brad Pitt needed one extra scalp, so. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Great comeback. Let's play a game. Yay! I want to play a game. All right, everyone. Gird your loins. Riddle me 
this. It don't matter if you win by an inch I or a mile. I despise guessing games. Come on, boy. Boy, play with me. Really bad. So, uh, this game is called Early Sign Off. As you know, there are two halves to Death Proof. The first with uh, Jungle Julia. She and her friends do not make it out of the first half of the movie. It could be seen, if you have no knowledge of the movie prior, as a twist or as a shocking kill. So, we're going to talk about movies where who you thought was the main character turns out to be an early death or an early exit. This this game is called Early Sign-Off, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to name you the actor who starts the film, makes an early exit, and then I'm going to name you the actor who ends up being the actual protagonist. And you need to tell me the name of the movie. Okay. Simple enough, right? For an extra point, you can tell me the name of said protagonist. Okay. The actual protagonist. Okay? Got it. I'm going to start easy. We have Drew Barrymore to Nev Campbell. You cheated, but I'm going to call on you. <laughs> Lacey. Scream! Scream, that is correct. I don't think anyone loves that movie more than me or Carmella. Yeah, favorite. You're going to witness a murder for the first time on Winston of Files Attack. Wait, do I get points for both character names? Just the actual protagonist. Oh, Sydney. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Prescott, Sydney Prescott, do I get a point? <laughs> um, No, because I'm mad at you. Shit. <laughs> the next pair of actors. We have Ryan Gosling to Bradley Cooper. Yes, Josh? Does that place be on the pines? That is correct. Yes! Oh, fuck. Good I job. About that. I forget he's in play- Bradley Cooper's in Place Beyond the Pines. Bradley Cooper's character name in Place Beyond the Pines is Greg Pines. <laughs> Greg Pines. Gregory Pines. Pines. <laughs> Bradley Cooper's character is named Avery Cross. That's another movie that's similarly structured to Death Proof because I think it's unfair to say that he's the true protagonist when that movie is like perfectly folded in half. Yeah, yeah and his son also has a little yeah. screen time. But for the sake of the game. I gotcha, I gotcha. The next pair of actors. I have one fake protagonist and I have two actual protagonists. So you're waiting for three names. Okay. I have Samuel L. Jackson. To Thomas Jane and LL Cool J. Oh, that's. Uh, what's the movie called? <gasps> no. Uh, we. <laughs> Bella Bella? Is it Deep Blue Sea? That is correct. <laughs> it is Deep Blue Sea. Oh, it's like Into the Deep. That's not right. With Omar Epps and LL Cool J? <laughs> I know that. <laughs> In Too Deep. I don't know their names. I have no idea. That's okay. Carter Blake and Preacher. Dudley, he's the chef. Come on, preacher. All right, we got two for Lacey, one for Mel and Josh each. Raymond's looking handsome on them on the cam. Just happy to be here, Rochelle. I know. <laughs> Our next pair of actors. We have Julianne Moore to Clive Owen. Hmm. I don't know. Oh. It's one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> yes, Mella. Is it Children of Men? That is correct. Ah! Hell yeah, Mel. Nice work. Thank you. 
I don't know his name. His name is Theo Farron. Mel and Josh tied for first place. Yep. Mel and Josh? Yeah. No. Lacey. Yeah, no, yeah. He's right. Yes, that is Lacey and, Lacey and Mel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I as, as an impartial observer, Rashawn, I think it's pretty unfair to say that Julianne Moore was being built up as, like, the protagonist of a um, movie. Is, this is my starts game. starts on Clive <laughs> face. It's like, the very first shot is him moving through a crowd. All the posters are Clive Owen. I wish I cared. I wish I cared. <laughs> Our next pair of actors. Amanda Weiss to Heather Lagenkamp. Not nope. a clue. Raymond, Raymond, I call on Raymond. Oh, is that Saw? Is it? Wait, is it Saw? No, it is not Saw. Everyone has seen this movie. Uh, maybe not Josh. Dope. Give us, give us a minute. She, uh, she furiously pulls out her phone. <laughs> no, my hands are here. <laughs> the correct answer is A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, nah, I've seen that. I did not oh. know that was her name. Heather Ling- Lingenberry. That's uh, that one's another kind of rocky. That's one. not that rocky. And shut the hell up. <laughs> no, you definitely I think just, that she's I not. I should the... just fucking. I should just mute my mic. Yeah, since my go ahead, do that. Do that for too. me. <laughs> Our next pair of actors: George Clooney to Sandra Bullock. Oh. Yes, Lacey. The Oceans movies. No, I'm looking for one movie. Me, me, me. Oceans me, Twelve. Me. Oceans Twelve. Ah! Yes, Josh. What? Ocean's 12. No, that is also incorrect. Fuck. I'm looking for one movie. Is it Gravity? That is correct. But yeah. You did not. Fuck. I will give you one. <laughs> George Clooney's in a tomb in Ocean's 8. <laughs> she said, yeah, I expected him to be the, oh, yeah, I huh? expected him to be the star. <laughs> well, I thought like as a series, as a whole, we start with George Clooney. I know I there's no trickery this time around. I promise. I'm not I'm not trying to trick you. Whatever. What? No, I only screamed because she was taking more than one guess and I was afraid she was gonna uh, gravitate to gravity and I wanted to make my voice heard. <laughs> Um, yes, these are all one movie. I promise. No franchises. Our, our next pair of actors. I got three names for you. This is also a little dicey Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> I have Oscar Isaac and Olivia Wilde to Olivia Cook. Lacey. Life itself. That is correct. Can't tell you their names, though. That's okay. Olivia Cook plays a character named Dylan Dempsey. That's the uh, This Is Us movie, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I have. I actually haven't seen that one. It's a good movie. Lacey pulls out in the lead with three points. Hey. To yeah, Josh well, well, with a fucking Lacey alley-oop on life itself. <laughs> well, I gave everyone an alley-oop. The only, the only person I've ever heard say something nice about that movie. <laughs> Lacey Blickbetter. And Mello Bella. I love that movie. I like it. Um, Next pair of actors. James Earl Jones to Matthew Broderick. Me. Uh, it Bella. was me. It was Mello. Lion King. That is correct. The character ah. that Matthew Broderick plays. Simba. Thank you. Can she get a point deducted for putting that little lilt on her voice? <laughs> Simba. I get two points. <laughs> I would have also taken James Earl Jones to Donald Glover for Lacey. 
<laughs> Our next pair of actors. John Hurt to Sigourney Weaver. Yes, Josh. Is that a alien? That yeah. is correct. Yeah. And she is Ellen Ripley. That is correct. Probably also say Tom Skerritt to Sigourney Weaver for that. Yeah. Miss Alien. Um, Josh and Mella are tied with four each. Four four three. Our next pair of actors, I have three names. This is a baton pass. Gwyneth Paltrow to Kate Winslet to Marion Cotillard. Wait a minute. I might also be overestimating if anyone has seen this. But it is not an obscure movie. Uh, uh, me. It's uh, uh, Yes, Josh. La Vie and Rose. Sure. <laughs> Have you seen La Vie and Rose? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's chocolate. You're not fucking French, Pete. <laughs> Marion is. What the hell? What is this? What the names again? Whatever it is, I need to. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, Lacey. Contagion? That is correct. Oh, shit. <laughs> You're right. I was going to say, he gave you a hint with how it was passed to one <laughs> from the other. I did. I, haven't, I watched it when it first came out and haven't since, <laughs> for obvious reasons. What What reasons, Josh? Uh, too real. <laughs> it's too, too real to watch right now. I don't want to watch Contagion <laughs> right now. Is something happening? <laughs> I have no idea what it's about. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will skip the name, Dr. Lenora. Leonora, excuse me. Uh, Next pair of actors, Chris Hemsworth to Kristen Connolly. Yes, Josh. Is that Cabin in the Woods? That is correct. Let's go. Oh, good one. Don't know her name. Probably something like Rebecca. Dana Polk. (laughs) It's probably something like Dana. (laughs) Almost to the finish line. We got Josh with five, Mella and Lacey with four. Let's get it. Our next pair of actors, Ryan Reynolds to Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Fucking all of them. Broke back the extended cut. Girl, I wish. Uh, <laughs> the correct answer is the movie Life. I remember seeing Oh, that. that alien movie, huh? Yes. Uh, the one that like, yeah. This... No idea. I haven't seen that one either. Didn't it kind of bomb? Everyone thought it was going to be a prequel to Venom for some reason. Venom, yeah. <laughs> I remember it was that. very strange. Uh, final question. So we can get a tie. Either of you can tie. Mamela. And it is very possible. Okay. So I need everyone to pay Hands attention. <laughs> TJ Miller to the Cloverfield monster. <laughs> <laughs> and then I will give you a tiebreaker question. Final okay. pair of actors. Janet Lee to Anthony Perkins. Ooh. Lacey. Psycho. Thank you. And for the win. Anthony Perkins plays. Norman Bates. That is correct. Normie. She came out with it on the final question. Ah! Wouldn't it, I mean, wouldn't it be. What? To Vera Miles, though? Well, I'm, I mean. The mom, the Scully? What? Isn't it? What? Wouldn't it be Janet Lee to Vera Miles? No, it's Norman Bates. <laughs> okay, you're right. It's what? it's uh, Emperor, fucking Drew Barrymore to Matthew Lillard. You fucking clown. Congratulations, Lacey. <laughs> that feels good. Thank you. You're very Thank welcome. you. This was a rough up for me, so thank no, you. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I feel bad because I was the one picking at it. Nah, you're the only one on screen picking at it. <laughs> Congrats, Lacey. Thank you. What does she want, Rashawn? We get to kill you off 
and Mel becomes. You know what? I accept that. I accept that transition. All right. In conclusion, we can say that death proof is a an experimental risk that Quentin Tarantino took in 2007. The structure, the pacing, the filmmaking is all very Tarantino. It's all very um what's the word I'm looking for? Stylized. It's a lot, you know? <laughs> but there are many things to appreciate within the movie, the actresses, the action sequence at the end. And I would implore everyone to watch the entire Grindhouse experience because it might be worth it. Or it might not. You need to know. Or, or it might not be worth it. Do not. I hate it. <laughs> do not jump into it. I want to say thank you to Raymond for coming on. Thanks, Ray. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having Woo-hoo! me. Love to have you on. Um, yeah. Give us a little plug. Talk a little bit more about Show Me the Meaning. Anything you're working on, anything you have coming up that you would like to talk about. How can we find you on social media? Yeah, let's stick with that. Um, (laughs) You can find me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at Crematoria. Uh, And yeah, as mentioned before, you you can find me on uh, Show Me the Meaning. Wisecrack's a really wonderful movie podcast that I'm uh, honored to be a part of. Um, And uh, I think uh, our next episode, we're going to be talking about Paddington 2. We'll, We'll touch a little bit on the first Paddington as well, but... Uh, with all the hubbub about Citizen Kane being unseated <laughs> from uh, the top of the Rotten Tomatoes pile. Uh, There's a new Supreme. It, yeah, Padding- Paddington <laughs> 2. Yeah, t- told Orson Welles, step down, sir. Um, and we, we have a new greatest movie of all time, so we, we figured that would be uh, worthy of discussion. We're going to talk about him and his uh, little people clothes and all the uh, marmalade sandwiches he likes to eat. And oh, uh, I, I genuinely love Paddington 2, not to uh, spoil the... The next episode to show me the meaning, but uh, yeah, if you uh, if you dig movie talk, uh, you could do a lot worse than uh, show me the meaning. So, thanks for listening. Thanks, Ray. Thank you for being here, Ray. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So we end each episode with a quick round of six degrees of separation, where we connect an actor from this week's film to an actor from next week's film. So, who can find the fastest connection between, let's say, Rose McGowan? Meryl Street. Oh, oh shit. Okay. Catch me using Scooby Doo. Okay. <laughs> using Scooby Doo. Uh, Matthew Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta stop doing this. I just lock onto one and I can't let it go. I gotta stop doing that. They have to have been in a movie together. I'm going crazy. <laughs> I'm going nuts. <gasps> oh my god, I think I have it. No! no Wait a minute. Just keep going. I'll be here all night. I don't care. I'll be here all fucking night with this one. I have to pee so bad. Me too, and I'm like, I will fucking get a UTI for this shit. Oh my god. Okay, hold on. Uh, oh, think- oh, 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 oh my god, do I have it? Whenever I think of a Meryl Street movie, I can't think of anybody but Meryl Street. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just going to talk it out and see if I have it. Do it. Rose McGowan was in Jawbreaker with Judy Greer, who was in Ant-Man and the Wasp, 
with Paul Rudd, who was in Endgame with Scarlett Johansson, who was in Laura, who was in, <laughs> hold on. I swear to God, I'm there. What did I just say? Marriage Story with Laura Dern. No, 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 no. Okay, hold on. Starting over. It's clean. I got this. I win. <laughs> Rose McGowan was in Jawbreaker with Judy Greer, who was in Ant-Man and the Wasp with Paul Rudd, who was in Endgame with Scarlett Johansson, who was in Marriage Story with Laura Dern, who was in Little Women with Meryl Streep. Come on. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Congrats, Lacey. Yeah. Barreling through. She got both today. Uh, the uh, game. So both next games. time Rashawn wins both, just remember this moment. I will not. Yeah. Why Why are you guys all excited <laughs> for Lacey? Because you just had like a 10 episode streak. Okay. It's nice. To this is what it feels up. like to be celebrated and loved. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. I wouldn't hey, know. You're welcome, Lacey. <laughs> I am the Janet Lee. <laughs> That is it for this week's episode of When Cinephiles Attack. As always, we would love if you like, follow, rate us on Apple Podcast. That helps so much. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cinephile Attack. Throw us some opinions. Tell us how much you love our opinions or how much they suck. That's okay too. Or if you have a suggestion for a new episode or you want to show us some more love, email us at WhenCinephilesAttack at gmail.com. From Rashawn, Mella, Josh, and Lacey. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Not me waving at my camera that's not on. <laughs> Bye. Drive safely. Oh, Bye. Drive safely. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. <laughs>